Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Friday uh, to you and yours. Uh, the weekend is here, baby. I'm all excited. I'm gonna go get see my mother uh, this weekend and uh, play some cards, eat some fried cabbage, uh, and that's much healthier than what it sounds. Uh, and see my auntie, uh, and just spend some time with my mother. Haven't seen her since, haven't been in the same room, I don't think, since Christmas. Uh, so I'm gonna do that and, and have an awesome, wholesome uh, weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but before I do any of that, I'm gonna give you guys a special weekend gift uh, by giving you something to think about and enjoy over the weekend. Uh, TJ Moe is back with me here in studio. Uh, Delano Squires is just around the corner. He's written a column about the topic of the week. What is a woman and what should we make of the fact that uh, what a woman is is even up for debate. Uh, we'll talk about that here shortly uh, with Delano Squires. And then we'll transition into some heavy sports conversation with Steve Kim. Uh, TJ, Steve Kim and I will talk about uh, Tyreek Hill uh, going to the Dolphins. Uh, Kyrie Irving, he's won the whole uh, vaccine mass charade in New York. He's going to get to play thanks to the New York Yankees. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Colin Kaepernick, who's back in the uh, news cycle. And we'll talk about Fox Sports and what's going on with Fox Sports. And because, you know, Steve Kim and I love to talk broadcasting. We'll, dra we'll drag TJ into our conversation. But what's going on at Fox Sports? I, I'm starting to think like they're surrendering, letting Joe Buck and Troy Aikman walk to ESPN and handing football over to ESPN, NFL football over to ESPN is a sign that perhaps Rupert Murdoch and Fox Sports are, you know, preparing uh, to leave the sports world. That's just a theory. We'll run it by um, Steve Kim and talk about that. But before we do any of that, uh, let's roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in uh, still the smartest man on the show. But, uh, man, you got people nipping at your heels, Delano. Uh, Royce White's coming for the throne. T.J. Moe's coming for the throne. Shamika Michelle may just change the title to the smartest woman on the show and be mm. over top of everybody. Dave Shannon's coming for the throne. Uh, you know, so, soon enough, you'll only be smarter. I'll start to introduce the man smarter than Jason and Uncle Jimmy, Delano <laughs> Squires. <laughs> I don't think me and Uncle Jimmy are going to pass you. Uh, but these other guys are coming for you. Hey, you've written another uh, great column that I think is appropriate given uh, what happened with the Supreme Court nomination and the hearings this week and, and Kachani 
Katanji Brown Jackson not wanting to define uh, what a woman is, you, you kind of use that as a good jumping off point or a good news peg uh, to write a column about uh, Handmaid's Tale? E explain that. You, you play off the movie Handmaid's Tale to, set, to describe what's actually going on with women and feminists and American culture. Sure. So, Jason, I've, I've actually never watched Handmaid's Tale. It, I mean, Hulu didn't create it for me. Um, I think my wife watched maybe season one. But I'm familiar with it because every time, you know, conservatives gain some ground, either in the culture wars or in the political ba battles, invariably some left-leaning woman will come get on TV and say, oh, what the GOP is trying to do is turn America into the real handmaid's tale. So I know, um, jo I've heard Joy Reid do this on a number of occasions. Uh, it typically comes whenever, you know, abortion restrictions are passed in a particular state. And um, she'll say, you know, this is the GOP's entire strategy, right? So the picture she's painting is that the GOP and conservatives more generally want American women to be docile, stripped of their dignity, and only want them to be um, basically wombs for sale, right? NATO s slaves. So they just breed, have kids, serve the patriarchy, um, and and sort of live under the thumb of of religious oppression. So that's the frame that she paints. As I started thinking about what's going on in our culture and the fact that you see some of the most powerful women in sports journalism, um, in the media more generally, in entertainment, in business, completely refuse to even define what the word woman is. And obviously this week, it was the Supreme Court nominee, uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. I started thinking about it and I said, no, this is something, the, 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 the left has this completely inverted. It's these women who are serving the interests of a new set of men, not traditional patriarchs, right? These are men who think that they are women and their views and, and their feelings have to be attended to such that as I said, the most powerful women in the country can't even talk about the thing that they've spent their entire lives building their identity around, which is womanhood. So, I mean, at the end of the day, Jason, it's fairly simple. Um, these women, oftentimes feminists, the most powerful women in America, have finally find, found a group of men that they're willing to submit to. <laughs> yeah, Bill Thomas and... I don't know what Rachel Levine's uh, former name is, but look, you make a great point. I, I think one thing that is becoming just more and more obvious, the way uh, the Babylon Bee has been silenced, Charlie Kirk has been silenced over social media apps, big tech, obviously, mm -hmm. you know, they can still say what they want, but they can't do it on these platforms where the worst thing you could do is, is I think, Charlie Kirk or someone got in trouble for, for saying that uh, Rachel Levine spent 54 years as a man, had kids, mm. was married, blah, 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 and then decided and, and then got elevated to this you know, appointment by uh, Joe Biden because he's allegedly a woman now. I mean, mm. literally, if he continued living his previous life, he wouldn't have the job uh, that he had. Right. And if Joe Biden weren't able to define what a woman was, 
Kadanji Brown Jackson probably wouldn't be a Supreme Court nominee if he was as befuddled as her because as far Joe Biden is not a biologist either. I don't is, is Joe Biden a biologist? Does anyone know? <laughs> I don't. Life's a doctor. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah, and his wife, yeah, she's got a PhD or something. Yeah, she's or, a yeah. doctorate, so she's Yeah, she a works at community colleges, so she's a doctor. So maybe, but it's a fascinating time we live in, and, and I think your column gets at the hypocrisy of this culture. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's, it's an amazing thing to see, because as I said in the column, these are some of the most outspoken women on abortion, on racism, on climate change, on social justice, on political power, on, on uh, economic independence, on pay equity. But the one thing, as I said, that they've built their identity around, which is their actual womanhood, which they, they have never had a problem defining before, uh, this, this new class of men, right? People like Leah Thomas and, and uh, Rachel Levine, as, as you say, um, have made them sit down and shut up. And when these men speak, the women I'm talking about have to be silent. Now, the irony is these women have spent their careers painting conservative women, traditional women, Christian women as meek and mild and docile, as, as submissive to their husbands. Um, but the big difference is, you know, the, the, the men that they say these women are submitting to, right, husbands and, and, and fathers and, and some, even, Jason, you talk about it, right, being a benevolent dictator as it relates to the women in your family. The, the, the men that I'm talking about here see their primary two functions as to provide and protect. And all throughout history, males in any society have had that. That's the baseline. You may do more than that, but you can't do less than that. Now, the difference is that the men that the women I'm talking about, these new handmaids, right, the most powerful women in the country, they serve men who have no interest in protecting them or providing for them. In fact, the relationship is flipped. These men take from them, right? I, I once heard you know, a, a pastor say something to the effect of, when you withdraw from people you know, in whom you're supposed to deposit, you molest that which you're supposed to protect. And that's exactly what's going on um, right now in, in, in our culture. So it, it really is a fascinating thing to see. These are, these are people, you know, like last week when, when ESPN, they did their moment of silence and L. Duncan is talking about standing in solidarity. And again, I, I'm, I'm listening. I, I want to hear at least one of these people say, you know what? We know that there are young girls who feel a different way about this. We want to give their voices a platform to be heard. None of them will do that. And what really brought it home this week for me is not just that, that you know, Judge Brown Jackson would not define woman, but it was also the exchange between her and Senator Josh Howley and Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham about, you know, child uh, uh, people who consume like child pornography, right? I said this later in the column, the left has moved the Overton window right in front of our children's bedroom. And the new handmaids are, are helping them prop up the ladder and streaming through the window are a, a cadre of perverts, um, miscreants, uh, ne'er-do-wells, who are trying to tell our sons that they can become girls and tell our daughters that being female is just a feeling. And as I said in the piece, some of them even want to take a, a few pictures as a keepsake. 
they're emboldened to do that because they know that their handmaids who are holding up the ladder down below will vigorously defend them and also say their name if anything happens to them. And we see that both with, with you know, Judge Brown Jackson and Joy Reid, you know, after the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. Oh, Joseph Rhodes' mom, he's, he's the real victim. A guy who, who did hard time in prison for, for molesting, I think, an, an 11-year-old boy. That's who Joy Reid wants to spend her social capital on. But, but when the girls, as I said, who are crying out across this country say, look, I wish some of these women with platforms would speak up for me, as I said, the, the new handmaids have, have been rendered completely silent. You bring up uh, Brown Jackson and, and Josh Hawley's line of questioning followed in by Ted Cruz that I thought was very powerful and very appropriate this week. Uh, but, but I saw like women in the media, particularly the leftist women in the media, like Gail King, mm-hmm. oh, the questioning of, of Judge Brown Jackson is just very painful to watch. And they're, they're, I've seen all these stories written about how the GOP has crossed the line with their questioning. And, and I'm sitting there in amazement because these questions are directly attached. And I'm talking about the, the stuff about child pornography and, and potentially, you know, is she enabling uh, pedophilia or whatever. They're talking about her record as a judge and her mm-hmm. citizen patterns as it relates to child pornography. They're talking about her record as a judge, not her personal life, not anything that happened to her in high school or junior high school or something that someone did to her in high school or junior high school. They're talking about her record as a judge. I don't find anything about it inappropriate. I certainly, as an outsider, I don't find it painful. I find it more enlightening because I, I honestly think it's not a coincidence that Joe Biden just happened mm. to pick the one judge who is sympathetic towards child pornography and perhaps sympathetic towards pedophilia. That's who Joe Biden landed on. And, mm. and I've seen enough pictures of Joe Biden with his hands around the neck and his mouth at the ear of women, young women and children to say, hey, I don't think I'm being QAnon by asking what's going on here. What is this Katanji Brown Jackson? What are her real qualifications? What's her real uh, agenda going to be uh, when she gets to the Supreme Court? Because she's going to be confirmed. All the Democrats are going to vote for uh, and there'll probably be a couple of Republicans roll over, but if not, Kamala Harris will pass or will cast the deciding vote. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I just find this whole line of questioning appropriate and, and not remotely out of bounds. I, I completely agree. And, and this is why, um, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks back, right? This is why, to me, the, the, the people on the right who were bringing up LSAT scores and other stuff like that, they were always missing the boat. This judge has a long enough career as a justice, as a jurist, to examine her record. And what's happening in the nomination is exactly um, what should happen at nominations. Judges should have their their record opened up and examined. Now, it's quite possible, Jason, and, and this is the scary part, it's quite possible that she is exactly in line with some of her peers on the federal bench. I haven't done enough research to say that one way or the other, but that would be the really scary part if 
um, judges in the federal judiciary share her viewpoint that child sex criminals and people who are considered the lowest of the low, right, that they think that these people are getting um, excessively harsh sentences. Th that's possible. One thing I know is that none of the questions are unfair. I think the people who are trying to say that this uh, sexist and racist to ask those questions are, are weak-minded. They actually make it more difficult for, for black folk and women to get opportunities because what they end up doing is saying that uh, minorities, minority groups, whether black people, women, black women, whoever, should be subjected to a lesser set of standards than, than white men. And that to me is the totally wrong position to take. If anything, especially if I, was, if I was a candidate, I would say, no, bring it on. Don't go easy on me because that, that paternalism, that condescension that you think you're, you're directing at me for my benefit really shows that you don't truly view me as an equal. Um, sports fans understand this, right? Because sports is one of the last few meritocracies. When, when you hear NBA players talk about Larry Bird, they may start by saying, yeah, man, that's, Bird was a cold white boy, but they never finished there because he was able to play at the highest level with all of the greats. So there's no asterisk. There's no, well, when Bird came down the floor, since he wasn't as athletic as some other guys, we lowered the rim. No. The reason that Larry Bird is an all-time great is because the greats recognize his greatness and, and no one lowers standards for him. But when it comes to, to black people and women in the public space, the, the instinct from some of the people you mentioned is always to say, well, they're going tough on us because we're black or because we're women, right? And I don't, I don't subscribe to that notion at all. I haven't seen anything, now to be fair, I haven't watched all the hearings. I've seen a lot of clips, some of them as long as 15, 17 minutes. But the things that I've seen, questions about her record, questions about her views on, on child sex criminals, questions about defining the word woman have been completely respectful. And I, and I think um, that her responses say more than, than the questions. Jason, the, the most passionate sort of uh, part of Judge Jackson's entire testimony is when she was talking to Lindsey Graham about guys who get sentenced, I don't know, 20 years for child pornography, right? And she was trying to say, and, and you, you could see the, like, the emotion coming out. And Lindsey Graham's uh, response was, good. I think they should get 20 years. They should get 50 years. They should get life in prison. And, and I, I had to sit back and ask myself, there's a lot of things that she's talked about. Now, when she was asked what a woman is, she said, oh, I'm, 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 I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not a biologist. But when asked about harsh sentences for, again, the lowest of the low type of criminal, then you see the passion raising up. So if, if, if I was someone on the left, I would start to ask the people around me, Do, like, wh what's going on here? We're the party that thinks that kids should be killed in the womb if, if, a, if a mother doesn't want a child, right? Uh, as long as the child hasn't drawn its first breath and you can find a doctor who'll do it, let's, let's get rid of the kid. When they get here, starting at three years old, we should introduce them to gender confusion. And when, and when states stop us from doing that, we're gonna pout and bang on the table and we're gonna say gay, 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 gay for two weeks straight and put up billboards, right? When the kids hit 10 years old, we think it's appropriate to put them on puberty blockers and, and, and hormones. 
when the girls hit 15, we think it's appropriate for them to cut off their breasts if they think they were born in the wrong body. And by 19, if they want to uh, uh, permanently mutilate their genitals, we think that that's affirming health care. When they hit 20, Jason, if they want to do sex work, no different than working at a law firm. And then when they eventually get into child pornography, which Judge Jackson made it sound as if you can just be on the Internet, you know, going from Yahoo to ESPN and then, you know, land on a, on a treasure trove of child porn. If they do that, we will be the party to speak up for their rights, to, to talk about the true victims of society. Those guys who have 10,000 images of prepubescent adolescents on their, on their thumb drives and hard drives. That's who we are as, as the Democratic Party in 2022. If I was a pollster, I would start telling people, hey, I don't think this is going to fly with the American public. Problem is, it might. <laughs> it, seems, it seems to me, the, and I thought about this while reading your piece, Delano, that the, uh, what brought this up is throughout your column, it is like you've poked 35 holes in their logic. It's like every sentence is like, oh, yeah that there's no logic and you go down the next paragraph and there's no logic in what in 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 the pattern of what they've done and it's it strikes me that feminists at least the the feminists what they've turned into not the the origin and today's democratic party they don't the, their platform doesn't make sense because it's just contrarian all it is is against whatever america was built on and what the republican party stands for so if you mm. are inherently contrarian then eventually all you're saying is there should be anarchy. This all started with the word to uh, tolerance. You gotta be more tolerant of these people. Well, if you're tolerant of everyone, eventually pedophiles deserve respect. And so, I mean, your, your column took me down that road of, if, if you were a Democratic pollster, you said this wouldn't be a good idea, but it's not their ideas. Their idea is only whatever the opposite of what America has always stood for. So how could it ever make yeah. sense? I, I, I think that's a great I, question. I agree. I, I want to add something to that because okay. it's a conversation I've been having with friends and family members and just people in general, particularly as it relates to black people. It's like our political position seems to be mm. whatever will make white men, particularly conservative white men, angry. That's our political position. That's our goal. To ang and, and it's like, well, hold on. Angering them does nothing for you. It's like my goal in life, when I, when I wake up in the morning, I'm trying to improve me and make my life better. I'm not sitting around thinking about TJ Moe and how I can frustrate him to get enjoyment for myself or improvement for myself. And so trust me, TJ, later today, I'm gonna be on that Stairmaster and it won't have anything to do with you. It really <laughs> won't. I, even though TJ may be like, man, if Whitlock gets in shape, uh, he may be better looking than me. That's not why I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm doing it for me. And right. most of the steps I take in life, and, the, and as an immature person, I have done things to anger people that I thought were my opposition. And every time it was a mistake. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think you guys are hitting on a couple of really key points. One is about the, um, the dangers of anti-identity, right? When, when, when your identity is not built on what you are for, but just what you are against, um, you, you can end up running yourself into some serious problems. And, and I said this in the column, like many 
sort of ideologies pushed towards women, these new handmaids are pushing bondage in the name of liberation. So they've done it, again, for the past seven years, at least 50 years. They'll tell women, you know, children are an opportunity cost. You could be in the workforce making a lot more money. So kill your kids. Okay, sure. The same with marriage. Same with home life. Um, and the, the same stuff as I talked about with sex work. Right? You, you have Teen Vogue telling young girls that being a cam model, stripper, uh, uh, a sugar baby, these are all legitimate forms of, of you know, financial independence. Um, I think the other thing, if I was to push this just a level down, like what's really underneath this, is that much of leftism, and, I, and I'm not saying that any political party is sort of 100% biblically aligned, but what you see in, in leftism from creation to the, to the nature of man, to how humans interact, to how the mind works. So if, if you build on theology, you know, anthropology, sociology, psychology, it all goes exactly against what God says. So if the scriptures say that God created the world, the left says, no, this is uh, a cosmic accident of, and, and, and we develop from, you know, Darwinian evolution. If the scriptures say God created man and woman, they say, no, man and woman is whatever you think. And what we're seeing is that these ideas have terrible consequences. And, and let me just go back to, you know, what I said about evolution. The irony is that the people who believe in evolution, who, who think that cr the creation story is just, you know, pie in the sky nonsense, are advocating a position, particularly as it relates to transgen transgenderism, that will ultimately lead to, the, to them culling themselves from the herd. Because as I said in last week's column, if you put 100 men in their peak physical condition and 100 transgender women, right, under the thought that trans women are women, in 100 years, nobody will be left. Not a single baby will be born. The entire experiment will, will fold in on itself and everybody will be dead. So these people who say that you know, evolution is how humans came to be are about to write themselves right out of the human story because their ideology cannot stand up to God's truth. Delano, thank you. I do want to correct you on one thing, though. It, it wouldn't take 100 years. That island would be full of dead bodies after a week. I don't know if I could last a day without a woman. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> thank you dudes guys. would be killing each other. Trust me. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, Policy Genius, uh, with skyrocketing inflation, having the insurance through your job may not be enough. Most people need up to 10 times more to properly provide for their loved ones. That's why you need to see our friends over at Policy Genius. Head over to policygenius.com fearless and answer a few questions about yourself in minutes. You can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The Policy Genius team works for you 
and the insurance companies. They offer unbiased help and they advocate for you at every step of the way. Policy Genius doesn't sell your info to third parties. Since 2014, they've helped over 30 million people get the best possible plan for themselves and their families. Head to policygenius.com fearless to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash fearless. Go support them because they support you. All right, uh, Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. Alex. All right, TJ, let's roll out to Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell, Steve Kim. Uh, we'll start with the big story in the NBA and New York, and I guess Major League Baseball as well, but for me, it's the Kyrie Irving angle. Uh, New York City has finally allowed uh, Kyrie Irving and unvaccinated athletes to that work in New York City, that live, that are based in the state of New York, or New York City to actually play at the Barclays Center, and this obviously affects the Yankees and the Mets as well. A lot of people think this decision's driven by the Yankees and the Mets. Because I think they say two-thirds of the Yankees are unvaccinated, and at least 10 to 12 Mets players are unvaccinated. Uh, and so now Kyrie Irving gets to play basketball at the Barclays Center just in time for the NBA playoffs. Uh, big win for Kyrie Irving. Uh, but there is a little bit of backlash and criticism because they just changed this rule for performers and athletes and really not for everybody. And there's a lot of firefighters and police officers, that nurses that lost their jobs during this crazy vaccine mandate deal. And I don't think they're getting their jobs back. Meanwhile, a multimillionaire athlete gets to play and perform, and, and they've won, uh, but not everybody else hasn't won. Or the, the plebes, or whatever they call the low, the working class, the non-elites, uh, still get it stuck up their rear end while, while it works well for the millionaire athletes. Uh, Steve Kim, uh, first let's deal with uh, how right Kyrie looks and then we'll talk about how wrong New York City and Eric Adams and Bill de Blasio have been. Uh, but yeah, I think this is a big victory for Kyrie Irving, and I think there's a lot of NBA players that wish they had his balls. You know, I don't know if I'd consider it a victory. It was certainly a standoff, and I, I would say that he was the one that didn't blink. But uh, the point that you make, I think, is really the key. I don't, I don't know if this is about Kyrie Irving, although the hypocrisy and the double standards that were shown the last couple of weeks, while he's in the venue at times, he's allowed in the locker room, and then he's not, but the players are and the fans, uh, who's vaccinated, who has a card. It, it was just this big quagmire, and it really showed the uh, irrational nature of this whole thing about where are we going with this and now that the Yankees season is starting they have 81 home games I think literally this is about the hierarchy of sports in the New York metropolitan area the New Jersey Nets they're kind of like the Clippers they're always going to be second banana to the traditional franchise the New York Knickerbockers 
But as soon as the Yankees came into play, and maybe a little bit less, the Mets were probably the second baseball franchise there. Now Eric Adams had a real quandary on his hands, like, ah, geez, what do I do here? People may or may not care about the Nets, but they certainly care about the Bronx Bombers. But again, this is about the priorities in our society, Jason, because as you pointed out, look, we love sports. We made our living in sports. All these gentlemen are doing is playing a game for entertainment for millions of dollars. Is what they're doing for a profession really as important as police officers and firemen? That's the question. Once again, this is really comes down to me. The bigger story is we have some really warped priorities. You know, I think uh, you mentioned whether or not this is a win for Kyrie. I, th- I think the biggest win is he gets to walk away with some self-respect. And most of these other guys yeah. just rolled it out, and whatever they had to do, they had to do. Kyrie actually had a reason for doing this. I, I got a buddy who's pretty close to Kyrie. His, so Kyrie's mother was born into an Indian tribe. And if you know anything about the Indians, and he considers himself a Native American, whatever the respectful way to say it is, they are very holistic. They don't trust the government, and they don't trust vaccines. And so Kyrie had his re- He was never going to crack on this. So th- there was a little more to it. And I don't know if you've seen the pictures of him at home games where he's allowed to sit there without a mask, smiling. He just knows he's the only. So he's the only one who will come out of this situation where everybody can look at him and respect him. I think that itself is a win, aside from the fact that he still made a whole bunch of money this year, aside from the fact that he got through it not having to take the shot, aside from the fact that by the time he uh, everything's done here, he's going to get to play in the playoffs. You're going to have to show me where he lost because I don't see a spot where he did. I think this is going to make these athletes a little less controllable and a little less programmable. I think Kyrie's win here will be a signal to the rest of the athletes like, okay, hold on. Instead of going with whatever is trending over social media, instead of concerning myself with a little social media backlash, Perhaps I should put some thought into my decisions and perhaps I should do what I actually believe because I, the reason most everybody else went along is because of social media. They didn't want to take the social media hit. Kyrie took it. He took heat from Mike Wilbon and Stephen A. Smith and people shouting at him on ESPN and calling him a terrible person. And, and so the, the final victory hopefully will come if the New York if the Brooklyn Nets can get it together and actually compete for a title this year and and perhaps win the NBA title then I think that's really going to do damage to social media's ability to continue to manipulate and control the behavior of athletes I'll start with you Steve and then TJ you follow up Well, you know, I'll say this about Kyrie Irving. He did the most interesting form of load management I've ever seen. And I've said this in the past. He's kind of like the Kanye West of the NBA. He's his own guy, for better or worse. Like Sinatra, he's going to do it his way. But to your guy's point, you're right. Maybe athletes ought to realize we are not just pawns or pieces on the chessboard. Because of our influence and our over-reliance on sports to really feed us from an entertainment value and also the commerce that they are a part of, this billion-dollar industry throughout four or five different major leagues in America, 
maybe they are waking up and saying, wait a minute, we have more leverage and say than we believe. But again, Jason, let's go back to this, though. A lot of these guys are just puppets. They haven't thought for themselves since about the seventh or eighth grade. That's the reality of it, though. I think you make a great point that's well taken. And that is that social media has made it very difficult for people to conceptualize the percentage of the criticism, meaning of the overall population, I'm getting, it feels like I'm, I'm getting just water hosed with criticism, but how many people agree with me and where is the actual political yeah. wind here? What should I be doing? Now, athletes, not the brightest people in the world. Uh, as a former athlete, I can tell you, we're not the brightest people in the world. And you just get on social media and you look at your mentions. There's actually, uh, there was a study done, I don't have it in front of me, you could probably find it where, or a survey I should say, where people said, hey, if I criticize somebody, uh, if I'm looking to disagree with them, I typically go to Twitter. But if it's my buddy and I agree with them, I text them. So you're like, mm. all Twitter is then is just a cesspool of people yeah. criticizing each other because the agreement is done privately. And some of that is because when you agree with them, it's a controversial statement and you don't necessarily want everybody else to know that you agree with them. Uh, but I, I think that's indicative and instructive of just exactly how detrimental social media has been for decision making and, and what it's done for athletes who, again, don't spend a ton of time thinking outside of their sport. It puts them in a place where they just look at social media and decide on that. And I'm not sure there's a worse yeah. way you can make a decision than a Twitter poll or looking at your mentions. Yeah, TJ, I want to make this guys, um, point. Yeah, I think a lot of this, to expand upon what TJ said, it's called performative wokeness. And a lot of people do it over social media. And, and TJ, I love your turn. I want to start calling you TJ Rogue because the last couple of months you've just said, you know what, I'm going to be me. I don't care if you like me. And, and I love retweeting certain people because I know it upsets them. And they almost try to bully you by retweeting with a comment about how angry they are, how you shouldn't retweet it. And where you really master social media is that you just say, you don't have to agree with me. You don't even have to follow me. In fact, you know what? I'm going to be Dikembe Mutombo or Anthony Munoz. I'll block you. The less you care about what other people think on social media, the better and more enjoyment you'll get out of it. And one other thing, Jason, as a media member, I've been to two fights live recently. I went to the San Diego Sports Arena or whatever it's called nowadays. And this past weekend, I went to the Galen Center at USC. When I filled out my credential request form, it said if you are not vaccinated, you have to get a 24-hour PCP or antigen COVID test. And I said, okay, I'll do it. By the way, those tests now are significantly more expensive than they were a year ago. So this Biden inflation is hitting everything, not just the gas pump. So here's the ironic thing. So I spend money on a Friday to get these tests, which now cost over $100. And I'm saying, you know what? I'm not gonna cheat. I'm not gonna get a fake Vax card. I'm not going down that road. And I will live with my decision as of this moment not to be vaxxed. You have to live with your decisions as an adult. Here's the funniest thing. So both times where I go to the credential uh, pickup desk, you know, they never once asked for my test. <laughs> <laughs> they just said, hey, Mr. Chip, how you doing? Oh, uh, good. And so I actually printed out my test results saying, hey, I got you here. I got the receipt. They're like, all right, well, enjoy your night. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, I could have got three gallons of gas with what I just paid for my test that you never asked for. It's lunacy. Do you care or you don't? Make up your mind, guys. <laughs> Let me tell you what it is. It's CYA. They do not care. Yeah. But it's CYA. They're covering their rear ends. Yeah and just going along to get along, but the actual people 
I, I think at this point, I would say as much as 85% of America knows that the COVID thing was a scam and yeah. that, that we totally mishandled it, that the masks were a scam, that the vaccines are a scam. I really believe we're up to 85%, because again, I, I don't wanna call, but when my mother is questioning, no. like, I don't think I'm getting the booster. Uh, when, when she's there, I just like, oh, okay. It's over. The, the scam is where the, the, my mother is no longer scared. You know, the, this is what, literally the, the media's entire job is to keep old people living in total fear. And, and when she's not scared, that means like, OK, we've gone. It, the whole thing has jumped the shark. Even my mother has figured it out. Uh, old people have figured it out. So all right, I, I want Steve. There's a big story. I, I mean, I can't, I don't even know where to rank it. This offseason for the NFL has been so incredible. But mm -hmm. for me, a Chiefs fan, Tyreek Hill going mm. to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, and it's really, uh. I guess it's really not a ramification of the Patrick Mahomes contract because the Chiefs tried to sign Tyreek Hill. And then I think the Devontae Adams trade happened. And, and our Devontae Adams free agent move to Las Vegas happened and that contract he got, I think then put Tyreek and his representatives in another mindset in terms of what he was wanted to get financially. And so he, he goes to Miami. And, and I say that, and look, I get that these guys gotta get every dime they can, football, can, career can end at any time or whatever, but I don't think this is in Tyreek Hill's best interest going to hmm. Miami. I, I think he would have been better served taking a little less money and staying with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I, I can't wait for him to get 30, 40 yards downfield and then have to start running backwards to catch that Tua <laughs> Tungwaoa uh, bomb where he never had to slow down for Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I and so. I just want to start there. Do you think Tyreek Hill will regret leaving Patrick Mahomes? Well, I mean, this crouching tiger is not a football biologist, but here's what I've observed, okay? Because <laughs> two opposite points can be true. Did you know Tyreek Hill last year only averaged around 11 yards a catch? I, I, I was actually on, amazed by that. Tyreek Hill only averaged a little bit more than 11 yards a catch. I was stunned by that. Look that up. He had 111 catches and right over 1,200 yards because he's become a possession receiver with the way the Chiefs are being defended. And TJ can get into this more. He actually played the game. Teams are playing this really, really deep cover, too. You can't even see the safeties right. on the television screen anymore. So that's the thing, though. His threat, though, opens up other things. Now, obviously, the number one threat in that pass offense is Travis Kelsey. The question for the Chiefs is, uh, is Carlos Carson or Stephon Page or J.J. Burden walking through that door? Is McCole Hardman ready to be the number one receiver? Look, Tyreek Hill is not a product of any system. His physical skills and his ability is so great, he transcends a system, okay? But here's what I've noticed about the Chiefs the last year or two, since the Super Bowl. A lot of his bigger plays are not just him running a go route or a post and beating somebody with the one, two, three ball out. A lot of his success on the deeper plays is Patrick Mahomes, 
run around, run around, do a 360, run around, extend the play, and make this ungodly 80-yard no-look cross the field pass that no one else can make. And as you pointed out, Jason, he is now going from Nolan Ryan to Phil Negro in terms of velocity and arm talent, as I date myself with an 80s baseball reference. So I think they're both going to miss each other because they have unique skill set. But again, Jason, 11.2 yards a catch. Huh. Interesting, right? I want to I want to put that into context. That was my career average at Mizzou. <laughs> the ultimate catch the ball and fall down guy sitting right here in this chair was my career average. Yeah, but Ooh. I agree with uh, Tyreek's 11.2 is coverage dictated. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think it's from a lack of speed. <laughs> wait, wait, one guy has speed, the other guy is deceptive speed. But let, let me give Tyreek credit, though. Go back to that Buffalo game where Josh Elite Allen, Jason, makes that great comeback. So there's not a lot of time left in regulation. You're thinking Buffalo's going to do it. But then Tyreek takes a, uh, I think it's like a deep crossing pattern with any other player. That's just a 20-yard gain. Tyreek turns it another 40 yards. There's no one else that could have done that with that. And that's what you're going to miss as a Kansas City Chief guy is that fourth and fifth gear that nobody else has in football. Yeah, well, for the Chiefs also, I think the running game is going to get tougher because the safeties aren't going to be nearly as scared. Uh, but, but TJ, you haven't answered the question. Do you think Tyreek's going to miss Patrick Mahomes? Yes, and I think this was a stupid trade. I think it was a stupid move, mm. all, all three parties. I think Miami Ooh. is trying to set themselves up to uh, – they have Jalen Waddle. They probably have the two fastest receivers in tandem now, maybe in the history of the NFL between uh, Waddle and Tyreek Hill. That, their, their tight end is also pretty good, too. The issue that I have is their quarterback. They have two guys, neither of which I'm big fans of, Tua Tagovailoa and now Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater mm. will get a chance this year when Tua Tagovailoa ultimately fails. They didn't bring a Miami guy where he's from to Miami who's had some success before his big injury to sit on the bench and watch Tua fail. So that is going to happen. But what you're paying a guy quarterback money, $30 million mm. per year, to be – very fast. I think Tyreek's Hill, uh, Tyreek Hill's career is going to, when he gets there, and he's not there yet, as we talked about, he's got a fourth and fifth gear. He's Deshaun Jackson. He's a guy that once he loses a step, he's worthless overnight. Mike Wallace, same thing happened to him. When yeah. you have blazing speed and nobody can, can roll with you, that's one thing. Tyreek, he doesn't have any special skills. Yes, he, has, he does. He has strong hands. Yes. He has very strong he catches. hands. catches. He does. But I'm in saying traffic. his route running, he, without his unbelievable speed, he's not an unbelievable route runner. I've spent a lot of time watching his stuff. He's, he's getting open because people are so afraid that he's going to blow by him. They're playing soft. And so he catches it, and then, he, as we saw in the was it, AFC Championship game, he will. But if he's going to have to be Larry Fitzgerald catching the ball in traffic later in his career, he does it now. But, again, oftentimes when guys are playing way off of him, he does have strong hands. My opinion of Tyreek is that he's really good. He's going to slow down. And a great receiver has never turned a good quarterback great. Mm. I can't think of a single time. A great quarterback has turned an average receiver into yeah. a high producer. But I can't think of a single time where you've said, I'm going to spend all my money on a, on a great Randy receiver. Randy Moss. Well, who, Dante mm. Culpepper? 
Look, he, he put an extra element to Tom Brady. Fair, but Tom was great before he got there. Tom was very, very good, very, very good. He became special with Randy Moss. And again, that's not taking it. He was a Hall of Famer before Randy Moss. Yeah. He became the greatest quarterback. Randy Moss helped put some gas in that engine. Fair enough. I would say that's higher than what we're talking, though. Yeah. What I'm saying is that can you take Kirk Dante Cousin, Culpepper, yeah. give him a great receiver? I, no, no, no. Everywhere Randy Moss showed up, and again, and I'm not a huge Randy Moss fan because he didn't play hard all the time. Yeah. But there is a reason why. That Vikings went 15-1. and one. Mm. The, the Patriots went 16-0. and 0. When that guy, and I think he played on the two greatest offenses in NFL history. And Jason. Point scored, I think. Uh, so, I mean, there are, speed does do yeah. extra special things. See, having never had any, TJ, I know why you don't get uh, it. Uh, yeah, but I'm very confused. Jason. I don't understand this conversation <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jason, <laughs> keep this in mind. In 1998, Randy Moss played with an older Randall Cunningham who had this renaissance at the end yes. of his career. One last thing about the trade, and everyone's saying, well, Chiefs get all this draft capital, right? And oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? What did you just say? Randy Moss played with who? With Randall Cunningham in 1998. Oh, in Minnesota. In Minnesota. Yes, that would be 97, 15, I think. Yeah, the 15 and one year came with Randall Cunningham, who could really mm -hmm. air the ball out. It's, and I'm just telling you, Jay, I never played the game. I watched a lot of it. I have a pretty good I know. Memory. I know Jeff George was there the next year, though, when Randall Cunningham well, flamed out. Yeah. <laughs> they went 15 and one with Randall Cunningham. I think Dante Culpepper was there, maybe in Chris Carter's last year or one of his yeah. last years, and Early then when 2000s. Randy was there as well. Yeah, early yeah. 2000. But Cunningham was the quarterback in '98. Yes, he was. Jeff oh, Jordan God, must I'm have good. been the quarterback in '99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're good. Uh, yeah. And they went 15 and one. Yes, yeah. they did. Damn and, you! And, and my Rams beat them. Right. No. The Falcons beat him. If Gary Anderson, who never missed a kick that whole oh, year, you're right, you're right. kicks that field goal, they're up by 10 and the game's over, but the Dirty Birds make this great comeback. I want to make a point about mm. getting a lot of draft choices. Okay? Everyone says, oh, it's great. Now they can. Here's the problem. If you don't have a Jimmy S. Johnson, the four-star general of football, builder of men and championship rosters, you're, I was a Ram fan in 1987, my tortured childhood they got a bunch of draft choices for Eric Dickerson, and I'll never forget it. It was a three-team trade. People forget it. it was Indianapolis, Buffalo, and the Rams. The Rams got a bunch of draft choices. We give up Dickerson. We could have had Cornelius Bennett. People forget that he should have been a Ram. He was a third pick for the Colts, and I'm thinking, oh, we get Bennett with Kevin Green? Well, we had Georgia Frontieri, who was cheaper than a Korean liquor store owner. We sell him off to Buffalo. He goes to a bunch of Super Bowls. My childhood is spent getting beat by the Niners. So the draft choices are great if you actually know what you're doing with them because we didn't make that the Herschel Walker trade out there with the Rams. Hmm. Mm. Uh, all right, was there an, oh, the, the, the other element to this is, again, I do think with all those draft picks, it's gonna be hard for the Chiefs to miss. I mean, mm. they're going to get a receiver out of that deal. I, I'm high in the second round if David Bell's there, and he's not a speedster. <laughs> but David Bell's a great wide receiver. Uh, I would love to see Patrick Mahomes with David Bell on the Kansas City Chiefs. The, the Chiefs, I think, will be fine. 
I, and, and I really do believe that. I do think it will be interesting to see Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill stretching that defense. And, and perhaps Patrick Mahomes will have to manage the game a bit more and not just be just a risk taker and kind of free willing and we're going to get all these big plays. It'll be interesting to see if, if Patrick Mahomes can make that transition. TJ, I, I think, you know, you having, weren't you in the Big 12 at the same time or the? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, he may have been after me, but. But, but I, I know you know his college career and, and all that. It will be interesting if, if, if he can become, and again, he'll never be a game manager, but I just think he's going to have to mature as a quarterback yes. without Tyreek Hill. Playtime is over and, and just, you know, doing wild and crazy stuff and throwing the behind the back passes, no look <laughs> passes, and while you're falling down. At the, I think that's going to have to end. And so it, it, it'll be, do you think Patrick Mahomes, how much do you think he's going to miss Tyreek Hill? Maybe not as much as they would have before they signed Juju Smith-Schuster, who I think mm. is, you don't you, like You're him. the guy that likes Juju? I do like Juju. Here's why. <laughs> because <laughs> when, he was, when he was second fiddle, which I think he's going to be playing second fiddle to, to Travis Kelsey now. When he was second fiddle to Antonio Brown, he was unbelievable. When, before Big Ben's arm fell off. He was very, very good. Since that time, right off the quarterback, he had he had uh, Mason Rudolph as his quarterback for part of his time <laughs> over there. They, they haven't. They have a Big Ben whose arm. It was Peyton Manning his last year. His arm is laying on the field somewhere in Pittsburgh. And so I think Juju can be a very good second receiver. He's just going to have to do it behind Travis Kelsey. They're going to have to build the offense yeah. around Travis Kelsey now, which I think, to your point, is not necessarily Pat Mahomes' strength. Now, I, I don't like guy. Juju. I think he'll be Juju will be in pregame videos with Jackson Mahomes. Uh, that's what he's going to be known for. But you know, hopefully he'll prove me wrong. Jason, Go ahead, Steve. I got a name, and he's not the number one receiver on the board, but he's my favorite guy, and I call him Chardé because he's a smooth operator. Chris Olave, Ohio State. When I see him. Mm-hmm. There's a smooth route runner. He gets in and out of cuts. And, and guess what? He just knows how to play the game. I, I know that Garrett Wilson, his, his counterpart on the other side, is a faster guy. When I look at Olave, I say to myself, the Packers, they need a new guy. And obviously the Chiefs, they need a guy. And he just is sound. He's solid. He doesn't have sprinter speed. But going back to that Clemson game when they beat him in the semifinals a couple years ago, I said, this guy has a natural ability to separate and change speeds, and he catches the ball naturally. That's the guy I'm focused in on. And, but he didn't go to Warren High. I get it, Jason. Jeez. Warren Central High Warren School. Warren Central, yeah. Don't ever forget it. <laughs> Dub C is what they call it. Uh, tradition, the pride, the ex. Anyway, I want to switch up, Steve, and talk about yeah. a favorite topic of me and yours, we love to talk broadcasting, TV networks. I want to talk a little bit more about the significance of this Troy Aikman, Joe Buck uh, over to ESPN. Again, I, I think it's the biggest move I think we've seen in broadcasting, bigger than Tony Romo and the contract CBS paid him. Because I, I think ESPN or, or Fox basically ceded NFL coverage to ESPN. And when I read stories, there's a story in the New York Post where Aikman's on the record 
or maybe he said it to Sports Illustrated, I can't remember. He's on the record saying Eric Shanks, the president of Fox Sports, didn't reach out to him, didn't contact mm -hmm. him until after uh, he had done the deal with ESPN. Aikman seemed shocked that Fox had no mm -hmm. interest in keeping him. Then when you tack on, they let Joe Buck walk a year early in his contract. Mm -hmm. That's gonna hurt their baseball coverage. Uh, they have two of the next three Super Bowls, and it looks like they're gonna go with Greg Olson and, mm -hmm. as their key color commentator, and, and maybe Kevin Burkhardt, who I actually like a lot as their play-by-play -play guy, or maybe they'll get someone else, but Al Michaels goes to Amazon. They, they don't get involved with that. To me, Fox is showing signs of that maybe they're going to get out of the sports thing. Maybe they're going to hmm. get out of that. That's what it, you, just, you don't give up on the NFL. It's the only thing that works. You don't hand over football coverage to ESPN. Uh, if, if you're a serious player, that was their main strength uh, was, you know, Aikman and, and Buck and NFC football, uh, and they've let it go, and now they're second fiddle to ESPN. I don't care. What, again, I'm no huge fan of ESPN and how woke it is, but they are now the worldwide leader in NFL coverage with that broadcasting team. I just think something's up here, and maybe Fox is looking to get out of the sports line. Uh, well, well, hold on. Let's go back. 1994 is when Fox became, I believe, the fourth network. They, they had made some strides before uh, after Married with Children and The Simpsons, Tracy Ullman Show. And I distinctly remember when they took over, I believe it was the NFC package, how they were ahead of the curve in terms of coverage. I believe that they got John Madden. And they came up with an innovation that we all take for granted now, Jason and TJ. There used to be a time when they wouldn't show the scoreboard, the score, or the running clock. And it looked so strange, but it worked. And for a long time, they were state-of-the-art. And you're right, Jason. It does feel as though now they're going back to being the VCR. Well, last time I checked, Blockbuster Videos, that's not the place to be on Friday. However, with that said, Jason, there's no way in the world they're getting out of football without going down fighting. Look, they've been raided a little bit. There's no doubt about it. But you've pointed this out before. If you look at the top 50 Nielsen-rated shows every year, about what, at least two dozen are National Football League games of some sort. Rupert Murdoch understood that live sports, specifically the NFL, is a titan. Look, do they have to go through some transitions and develop new talent like a Greg Olson? Yes. Will it be awkward? Will there be growing pains? But do I believe that they're thinking to, my, to themselves, we need to get out of sports when that's the only thing that's really holding up its end of the bargain in terms of the ratings? I actually find that very, very far-fetched, Jason. I'm going to tell you why I don't, because it, it could just be like, I'm cashing out here. I, mm. I, I've been a television icon and titan for how many every years, 30, 40 years or whatever. Uh, and I'm cashing out. And so Apple or Amazon or someone make me an offer that I can't refuse and I'll get out of here and turn it over because second generation businesses fail. And, and hmm. Rupert is in his 90s. He's turned this thing over to Lachlan. 
uh, his one of his sons, and it doesn't seem to be working. There was an article, Business Insider or Forbes or someone, about how Fox Bet isn't working. And that's Lachlan Murdoch's baby. I just read this story either, I think it was yesterday, uh, that, you know, Fox Bet's not working and they don't really have a good game plan to get it working. Uh, maybe Rupert or, or even maybe the sons are smart enough to know, I'm not my dad and let's just take this money and run. Hmm. Well, Here, here's the problem, guys. Outside of Family Guy, there's not a single thing I watch on Fox. I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I don't even remember the last thing I watched before Family Guy. Was it 90210? I admit I watched it. I, and the problem is, when you are so closely aligned with the league, like the National Football League, and I don't really watch baseball anymore, I played it, I'm done with it, I would never watch Fox then, outside of Family Guy. Um, Peter Griffin, love those guys, but can that really anchor your network? I, I don't even think I could name you another show on the network. Maybe 911, which I've watched a few times. But I have a hard time believing any network just willingly gives up their grasp on what is the most popular league, at least in America. That, that, that seems very hard to believe. I, I wonder if your point is a result of such terrible decision-making leading up to it. Because it's possible you're true, but we're seeing, we're seeing Fox, who were the first people to fire all of their writers. Was that a Jamie Horowitz decision? Yeah. Mm. Fired all of their writers, basically single-handedly launched The Athletic when they got rid of everybody. And then you have sold off all your regional networks and several of your other entities. You have your most notable studio show, aging out with Terry Bradshaw, who can hardly formulate a sentence, love the guy, but doesn't make a lot of sense these days, and Jimmy Johnson, those are the two icons. The show doesn't work without them. You've got to figure that out. And as you stated, the gambling stuff, they tried Foxbat, they're in four states. They acquired an mm. outkick, that doesn't seem to be working to bolster everything. And so you've got a bunch of different decisions, and I wonder if Rupert's looking and saying, everything we're doing sucks. Maybe it is time to cash out. I I'm gonna go an extra layer here and, and say that again, when I see the NFL, cause, because that, that Aikman-Buck decision to ESPN, the NFL has a little say-so, or a lot of say-so. They gotta be comfortable with that because they know the significance of that move. They know that they're bolstering ESPN with that move. And, and there had been a lot of friction between ESPN and the NFL, and is ESPN trying to tear down the NFL? And the NFL strategy has been capitulation. We're gonna put our arms around Black Lives Matters and Colin Kaepernick and, and just every, we're just gonna go woke. And so when I see the NFL and, I'm, and, and then being comfortable with like, okay, ESPN is going to be the clear-cut leader of discussion of the NFL. It makes me say, the NFL's decided we're going woke all the way, just like the NBA. I, I just heard, I was talking to someone that was telling me that the whole strategy that the NFL is embracing is social media and music. 
in order for us to reach younger people, we gotta, because people over 40 aren't watching football and what happens when they die. And so we gotta be more active on social media and we gotta be more hip hop. And I'm just like, well, that sounds like the NBA. They're about to embrace the NBA strategy and think that rap music and Twitter are going to save them. It hasn't worked for the NBA, but people just do the same dumb thing over and over again because they get in those rooms and that's what all the young, hip ad agency people say. Just put a little uh, Cardi B in there and, and mix in a little Dr. Dre and Snoop and boy, people are gonna love it. And then we'll tweet about it and boom, there you go. And so I, I, I just look and ask myself if someone like Rupert Murdoch, who I have a lot of respect for, like what he's, he's done, but maybe the puppet masters of the world have decided there's no place for Rupert Murdoch in popular culture and entertainment anymore. And here's a big check, Rupert, and you know, your billions of dollars, you and your kids and your kids' kids will all be fine, but the entire TV industry and Hollywood industry, everybody's gotta be on board with the woke stuff. And so Rupert, here's a check, go away, and we're gonna install and 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 well, that that's I'm go all right, go ahead, Steve. I'm rambling. Well, just one bit. last point here. I, I I've read stories for the last four or five six years how the number of homes that have ESPN has been steadily declining. Right. The last I checked, I believe Fox is in significantly more homes across the United States than ESPN. You're the National Football League. I'm not so sure I want out of the business of Fox, CBS, NBC, ABC. I always want to be on one of those four networks. Here's the other thing. And you could say, well, maybe if ESPN gets all the games, more sets will get back on it. But there's one thing I've noticed, and you travel a lot, TJ, you've traveled. Anytime you go to a sports bar or a restaurant, bar and grill that shows television and sporting events, it doesn't matter what network is showing the game. The patrons will demand, can you get the game on? I mean, there's a great power with the National Football League because it could be PBS. If they're showing a football game, PBS will be on every TGIF or whatever restaurant chain you go to. That's the reality of it. But from the National Football League standpoint, do you really want to leave one of the four major platforms? Th that doesn't make sense on either side. If I, 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 all the trends are laptop and cell phones are where people are watching TV. They're streaming it. They, you know, when someone my age cuts the cord and now is on Hulu, that, that tells you everything you need to know. about. And it was hard for me to figure out Hulu and all this other stuff. But I had to put the work in because the cable thing just didn't make sense for me anymore. And, and so I, I don't know. I think you'd rather be riding the right wave than just standing pat on what's working now. I don't know if the NFL or any of these networks believe being on one of those four networks is still is nearly as important as it was 20 or 30 years ago. 
And when I look at Amazon anting up to pay for Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreit, that tells me where this thing is going. And, and so between Apple or Amazon or some, somebody may make Rupert Murdoch an offer he can't refuse. And, and we're sitting here at the, the, the tipping point where the linear and streaming thing is clearly more important than you know that TV that's hanging on the flat screen TV that's hanging on everybody's wall with the four major networks coming through it. Jason, I'm not going to disagree with that, but take a look at Fox and their overall commitment to football. And the two most popular leagues in our country based on television ratings is the National Football League and then college football. Fox made a very interesting decision this past year or two. They have taken their best game and they understood that, wait a minute, why don't we start going at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific, and just stick our best game in the morning, but we're still going to play games throughout the day. There used to be a time where Fox didn't do that much college football. Now they're showing a lot more. So that, that shows me in one end, uh, they're kind of invested into this football thing. They understand how popular it is. Do you really think a network would say, yeah, but you know the most popular league, the National Football League? Let's get out of that pool. That almost makes no sense to me from a network perspective. Listen, they're doing what's necessary to survive right now, and the execs in charge are on the hamster wheel trying to earn their bonuses and trying to do, do all that. And, and they want to keep Fox Sports viable so it can attract the best buyer and the best price. You're not just going to abandon ship on everything, but literally when push came to shove, when it came time to ante up, for arguably their two most valuable employees at Fox Sports, they didn't even get on the phone with them and they let one of them out of the contract early. Your, your two most important talents of Fox Sports, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, they let Aikman walk without even offering him anything, offering him an explanation. He's complaining publicly. That, that you know Eric Shanks didn't even want to really talk to me, and they let Joe Buck out early, that's a sign. And, and, and again, the other stuff they're doing to me sounds like a justification for keeping the value high so that someone will come in and, and pay a, a really nice price, but, but when you don't even try, guys have worked for you for 20 years and they're that valuable, and you don't even try, and, and keep, they hired, because again, three, four months ago, I think they were trying, they hired Troy Aikman's longtime agent, Jordan Bazant, to come in and uh, work for Fox Sports. He was actually gonna be their lead contract negotiator. I'm going way inside baseball, but he was supposed to replace an old dude named Larry Jones. And, uh, Jordan Bazant's job, he's been there for three or four months, has an email address the whole nine. He, he got there to replace Larry Jones as their lead contract negotiator. He's Troy Aikman's longtime agent. He's never replaced Larry Jones, and the next thing you know, Larry Jones is still hanging around. They're supposed, you know, that's supposed to be coming to an end, but, you know, Aikman, again, I'm going way inside baseball here, but Aikman not a fan of Larry Jones at all. And 
they hire his agent to replace Larry Jones. And then four months later, don't even make the guy an offer. Something. Okay. Well, Jay, I have to ask you and TJ this though. Have you, what announcer or team actually accentuates a broadcast to a point where you say, oh, they're calling the game. I'll watch that one over this one. I'm not so sure John Madden and Pat Summerall exist anymore. It's not that. It's the opposite. It is who is not good enough to keep me watching. I don't really notice mm. when good broadcasters are on. I notice when bad broadcasters are on. And then I turn <laughs> it on mute or shut the game off. I'm serious about that. And to, and to your point a little bit, Jason, there are two companies here that if they want in and to take over, they can and will. That is Amazon and Apple, both of which have enough cash on hand right now to buy every NFL team in cash sitting there. So Amazon has already shown that they want in. They started with their Thursday night football. They've expanded that now. If Amazon decides they're in, they're going to wrestle away whatever games they want to with the cash they've got on hand. And so if your theory, I mean, your theory, it would be a smart thing to decide if you think the future is the NFL is going streaming and they don't care because they're a big enough product that they, it, they'll be found wherever they need to. People are going to subscribe uh, specifically for NFL games. If Amazon wants to buy a bunch of them and take them away from Fox, they're going to. And how much less is Fox worth if, if you know right now they can't even get NFL games because they can't pay for them? Well, they, Fox just recently did a contract for the NFC. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to go further with things I've heard because it's just way too speculative. Some of the other things I've said are fact-based. The Jordan Bazant and Larry Jones, that, that, that's all fact-based. Uh, but Fox recently did a deal to retain the NFC and have those rights for a while. Here's what I'll say about the broadcast teams, though, Steve. I hear people say, oh, well, I don't watch for the broadcasters. Well, the broadcasters elevate the prestige of the broadcast. Do they really make a difference in terms of ratings? Not really. N not really. Now, there are certain NFL broadcasters who I will not name that I turn the sound down on the game <laughs> uh, just because they annoy me. Everything they say is very obvious. All, they think commentating is basically just repeat. Oh, the guy down blocks here. Well, I, I can see that he down blocked. I didn't need you to tell me that. Tell me why he did. Why? Did, anyway, but turn the sound down. But in terms of prestige and advert making advertisers excited, making the league feel like, again, there's a reason why ESPN's Monday night schedule was horrible. Because that broadcast team they were putting out there wasn't any good. And this goes all the way back. John Gruden was good, but he had to work with uh, Sean McDonough, who had no business calling NFL games. He was there because of the Alphabet Mafia. And Lisa Salter, it was John Gruden, Sean McDonough, and Lisa Salters. It was two members of the Alphabet Mafia and John Gruden. <laughs> they don't care about football. Now, I'm just keeping it real. I, I'm, you know, you'll never hear this kind of honest conversation about what's really driving these decisions. But that's what was going on with that team. Then they come in with I, I, Steve Levy, I think, was called yeah. the play-by-play -play guy. Fine broadcaster. He's not an NFL play-by-play -play guy. And, and Brian Greasy and Lewis Riddick, 
weren't prestigious. Mm. And so, and, and, and Jay, I'm leaving off Jason Witten and, and Booger McFarlane. The, the NFL was uncomfortable giving them a great Monday night football schedule because the broadcast teams were terrible. Aikman and Buck, you're gonna get, this is why I'm saying ESPN's about to dominate football conversation because now they're gonna be a priority. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman can sell the NFL. When, when it was uh, Gruden, Sean McDonough, and Lisa, you can't sell the NFL. The, it, go back, I wrote a column about it, I was livid the day, because John Gruden loves football, but he's working with that team, and if you remember, he, he, there was a Bengals game where they with went the off and all of them were complaining. Yeah, with the Steelers about, oh, it's too violent, and oh, this was gross, and blah, blah. I said, they got John Gruden complaining about hard hits. This is crazy. You can't sell the NFL with the broadcasters trashing it with Sean McDonough. Oh, God, this is terrible. Oh. You, can't, that's not, you can't sell football that way. Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman, they can sell football. ESPN's going to get a great schedule uh, now and be a priority, maybe even a higher priority than Sunday Night Football on NBC because they mm. just lost Al Michaels. And so that's where the teams matter. And trust me, Fox is well aware of this and, and knows that, and again, they got NFC games to work with and those, the NFC teams have so much tradition. But, but aren't all the quarterbacks now in the AFC? Yeah. Isn't that what has just happened? Mm -hmm. Is that the, all the great young quarterbacks are in the AFC, and so tr tr these things are being calculated. That Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, just the AFC West alone, but Lamar Jackson's over there. Every, and you got two old guys in the NFC, and, and oh, Russell Wilson just went to the AFC. Mm -hmm. uh, so the NFC package without Aikman and Buck and with, and with all the best quarterbacks playing the AFC for the foreseeable future, it, 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 the NFC package isn't as valuable as it, as it used to be. Uh, anyway, it's an interesting time. I'm glad we had this discussion because <laughs> I, as I'm sitting here, I'm t no one else is going to address these things. Everybody, all these other guys, and I, I love a lot of the media reporters, but and they do a decent job, but they're all, they're so dependent on these people for information that they can't be completely honest about what's going on. And who knows, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Fox is all in on sports and I'm just, but, but these types of discussions and insights should be being had uh, because it's all in play. This decision to, to let Aikman and Buck is, is a massive signal or a massive warning sign. It's something. What, what's going on at Fox Sports is very fascinating and just what's going on in sports. For the NFL to be this comfortable with their, the primary seller of their league now, ESPN, blows my mind. The, the, the people that are taking moments of silence for the LGBTQIA+, the P is silent, alphabet mafia, now that's who's going to be selling the NFL? This is fascinating. Uh, Steve, I got to let you go. We went much longer than I anticipated. Uh, I was going to talk to you about Colin Kaepernick, but I'm not. I, you, you got a thought on Colin Kaepernick? Just for, I'm, so I'll let Steve go. I can't believe...
that we're still talking about. He hadn't played in six years, and somehow he's going to get a job at the Seattle Seahawks or He's desperate. He's not relevant. What he's figured out is that Nike can't make you relevant. Nike can only make you more popular than you already are. And he was counting on Nike and these other people that he was signing with to make him relevant, and he's not relevant. People stopped talking about him, so he wants back in. He probably just wants out of the house. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah, you know, he's got one of them controlling alpha male girlfriends. <laughs> that, uh, he probably just wants out of the house. All right. Uh, Get your fearless swag at shopblazemedia.com. Uncle Jimmy in our approval rating on Tyreek Hill. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Time for the approval rating segment. Uh, wow. Time for your favorite part of the show. Come on, say that. Well, it used to be. Uh, <laughs> we will see today uh, if it is or not. We're going to talk about Tyreek Hill. Uh, but we did have Before a we do. Show. Yeah. Yeah, come on, let's go. Before we do, let's talk about this other thing. What other thing? Let's talk about this NCAA college thing with Arizona, TCU. You see this whole thing sweeping all across Twitter. Arizona and TCU. Arizona, TCU, college basketball. The Arizona. March Madness. March Madness. What are they called? The Arizona, uh, uh, Bobcats. The Arizona Bobcats against the TCU uh, Horn Toads. Horn frogs and wildcats. Okay, have you seen this video that's got everybody going crazy? No, what happened? Can, can we, first of all, can we, can we please show the video? Take a look at this right here, Jason. Bro's walking off. Ooh, what? Did he just give him a little touch? No, <laughs> that, that, that's camera. That's, oh, wow. Looks can be deceiving. Wow. <laughs> look, look at another angle. Look, look. Come on now. Oh, okay. There's nothing there. He did not. 
There's nothing there. He didn't do he didn't. Yeah, she's flat chested. No. <laughs> yeah, had it been Dolly Parton, we'd have an incident. But uh, no, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. But that, that's been. I You're making a big deal about this. First of all, in the words of Steve Kim, like he said, hey, Jay, if a tree falls in the woods and doesn't make a sound. Let me try this. Hey, Jay, if you grab a boob and you don't make eye contact, <laughs> does it count? <laughs> no. Look, based off that second video that they showed, she doesn't flinch or move in any way. It's just the camera angle on the first one makes it. He's look taking a like, bow. Yeah, he's taking a bow. The, she doesn't move. That's so the camera angle makes it look like the first one made it look like he touched her. But you can clearly see from this angle he didn't do anything. Yeah, but but they're making a big deal about this. That they're making a big deal about this. And so the, this the, happened last weekend, but they've been talking about it. I, I guess what well, when did this happen, Corey? Sunday, it's happened on Sunday's game, and now they're making a big deal about it now about it, you know. And, and the thing is... Has anybody that, commented? Well, that, that's what I was just going to say. They had a press conference, and, and one, of the, one, of the pre, one of the media guys asked the player about it, just directly asked him about it. Can, can we roll that? Let, let, let's look uh, at that and see how... And Jim Bertuno with the Associated Press. I know you're aware of this, the video clips that were out on social media. The athletic director today said he put out a statement that said that you don't recall touching the TCU player. Can you just walk us through what you remember of that situation and have you contacted her to apologize in any way? Or can you just walk us through what that situation is now? We actually sent an email trying to you reach out to the to the cheerleader and uh, you know, sent uh, through the uh, TCU uh, athletic department. So I reached out to her and um, that is it. I answer your question. Good. Next question. Mm. Next question. I don't like the way that was handled. And Thank I'm you. not talking about by the kid. Talk to me. Because if they knew or someone should have had a suspicion that this was going to be asked, and some adult probably should have jumped in there and said, hey, look, we've looked at all angles. We reached out to TCU. The woman wasn't touched. This is nothing here but an internet thing. Instead, they put the kid in a tough spot, and he looks like he's kind of being surly about it. Uh, but but I, I don't blame the kid for being surly because he didn't do anything. He's, it's clear as day when you look at that second angle, he's clearly must have had a big game, and he's taking a bow. He's walking off the court, didn't touch her, clearly by the second angle. She doesn't flinch. She hasn't made some complaint. He's not, whoever's asking the question isn't saying, well, you know, the TCU cheerleader has filed a formal complaint, wants an apology, blah, blah, blah. This is, this is why I can't stand social media, TikTok, and the viral clips and all that other stuff, because it can take something innocent and make you think it's something nefarious. The girl hasn't even complained. You, you haven't even heard a word, I don't think, that right. you've heard, you know. But by the time, time this story gets done, by the time they get done talking to her, when you see her again, she'll be standing next to Gloria Allright. <laughs> and Gloria Allright, they'll be talking about, she was, she's never recovered from the massive assault that he received from the black man rubbing her breast. Let me ask you this. Can you say my last name? Whitlock. All red. 
<laughs> that's what I see when I see her, all red. Well, that's her name, all, Gloria Allred. You called her all right. Here's the thing, anyway, Jason, real quick. Can I go back? Can I go yeah, back to that press conference that, that kind of bothered me a little bit? Because the brother said, I reached out to her. Oh, damn it, ain't that why we in trouble? Because you reached out. <laughs> now, I understand the brother, he, he don't think he done nothing wrong, and I get this. But what, if you, what, what is your phrase? The road to hell is what? Paved with good intentions. Okay, and you've told me all my life coming up in the industry, what have you told me? Jim, you ain't never seen a black man in life do what? Get in trouble for helping a white woman put her breast up. That's not what I've said. Oh, I messed that up? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I've said. Well, anyway, look, man, you know I was in law enforcement. Seriously, I was in law enforcement, and I had to deal with things like this. But in a case like this, we utilized the Johnny Cochran rule. Seriously. And in this case, they said that if the tit don't fit, you must have quit. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm trying to think of... <laughs> if the tit doesn't flinch, you might... Uh... Oh, damn. <laughs> but yeah, nothing happened here, and they put this kid in a tough spot, and they should leave it alone. I agree. Uh, let's get to Tyreek Hill uh, and our approval rating. <laughs> You're concerned about Tyree Hill leaving Kansas City? No. Tyree Hill, Tyreek Hill is just like an ex-wife, a baby mama, or a girlfriend. They meant to be in your life for seasons. That's it. <laughs> they, they ain't meant to stay. They, they ain't meant to be there forever. They, they I mean, that's not biblically sound, what you just said. <laughs> I'm not, you don't get too attached, man. You just don't. <laughs> Come on, man. Uh, so, job performance, uh, Tyreek Hill, the guy's a baller, man. Makes that Chiefs offense go. Uh, I gave him a 23 in job performance. I gave him a 21. He got paid. So, we gave him that for job performance, right? Yeah. Yeah, you okay, got but paid. let me ask you this. Did he get in that end zone in that game against the Bengals? Not a lot did, of did, did, did he get in the end zone? Not a lot of people did. Okay. Uh, but he got paid. Aaron Rodgers got paid. Devontae Adams got paid. Seemed like we rewarding a whole lot of mediocrity in the NFL, don't we? Aaron Rodgers was MVP. Devontae Adams and Tyree Hill, too. It seemed that we rewarding a lot of mediocrity, and then we ain't even going to talk about Deshaun, the Deshaun happy ending watching. Come on, man. <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, character, uh, you know, I had to go kind of low on the character thing. I've never liked that incident he had. Uh, in college, then the incident in Kansas City. So I give him an eight in character. He's done a good job of that. You, 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 you must have read my stuff. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I'm giving him, a, you gave him an eight, I gave him a 13. First of all, let me just be real, Jason. If it wasn't for Andy Reid, this dude probably wouldn't even have had no career in football. Because nobody was going to touch him when he came in college for all of the baggage he was coming out of college with, like you just said. A lot of people just don't know. This dude had baggage coming into the NFL. And then even after he got here, bro, you got into a little trouble after you got here a couple of years ago. And Kansas City took care of you. And you run around here trying to act big time? No, man, get out of here, man. Uh, authenticity. I don't have a problem with his authenticity. He's whatever he, he, he is, who he says he is. Uh, I don't think he portrays himself as some... Give me two shoes or whatever. So I give him a 19 in authenticity. Authenticity, I give him 25. You know, because he, he, he's showing what he truly cares about. He cares more about himself. He don't care about no Kansas City Chiefs. He care about himself. 
He he don't care about what building. He cares about when that he's the highest paid player in the Kansas or in football. That's all he cares about itself. And but you know what? I guarantee you, you said it. Hey man, you can't just substitute a team and, and, and a and a what is that? Uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes and a African American. You just can't swap African Americans and think you are gonna get the same result. Swap Patrick Mahomes for Tua. It ain't gonna happen the same way. Two is not African American. I think he's Samoan or something. Uh, it factor. <laughs> Sorry. It factor. Uh, he's one of the most exciting players in the NFL. If not, you know, well, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are more. Josh Allen. But anyway, he's a very exciting player. I give him a 22 in it factor. He's definitely worth paying to see. Hey, man, I give him a zero. This man got it twisted. He been playing with the Chiefs all these years. He done got spoiled. It ain't that easy. He gonna find out. Mm. He gets a zero from me. Mm. All right, I got him at 72, a grease fire. Uh, Jimmy has him 59 candlelit. I could care less. Hey, man, I can't wait for him to you go. You sound up. like a, a, a scoring lover. I sure am. Call it what it is. <laughs> Tariq Hill left me. We're not, look, I paid for Tariq Hill. Tariq, I got him augmentations and he left me. Okay, <laughs> you, you know how that feel, Jason. <laughs> Tariq Hill went off and left me and left his dog cage in my house. <laughs> <laughs> don't egg that on, Corey. Uh, <laughs> you know how I feel. Don't act like it's just me. Let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord split you. All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you next week.